0: Hi there, and welcome back to the Grunge Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Whiskey Stevens, and today we're talking about parasocial relationships in the occult community. I recently watched a video by Kellyanne Maddox on her YouTube channel that talked about Marilyn Manson, and she shared her experience of having a parasocial relationship and then having to kind of realize that he was using his public persona to gaslight and just kind of slough off the terrible things he did uh, as an excuse Uh, like he said in an interview that he wanted to murder Evan Rachel Wood and then his team said that you know that was just his edgy persona that it wasn't really him that he only said it for shock value so that kind of thing um, so, her video was actually really interesting. And in the Spotify description of the podcast and the YouTube description, if you're listening on YouTube, I will link the video of hers if you want to watch it as well. So, it kind of led me to wanting to talk about the relationships that we can have with online content creators within the occult community specifically. I think it's something that more of us actually experience than we care to admit. And as always, there's a lot of different angles. I'd like to cover today. So from a paper titled Parasocial Relationships, I learned that the following, that the concept of parasocial interaction has existed in communication and media studies for several decades, and the term was first coined back in the 1950s by sociologist Donald Horton and his psychiatrist co-author Richard Wall, in a paper that was published in a psychiatric journal. The authors were particularly interested in styles of radio broadcasting at the time that had adopted the fireside technique of presentation. And I found that interesting because I myself have actually watched a few fireside chats on YouTube because of, you know, the level of intimacy that it felt like they had. So, the term fireside was called that because the broadcaster's attention was to make the listener feel as if they were at home by the fireside listening to an old friend talking. During these broadcasts, Horton and Wall argued that radio listeners became drawn into an illusion of intimacy with the radio persona, whether real or fictional, and may even experience the belief that they were being. They were the recipient of a personal address. They cited the example of The Lonesome Gow, a regular broadcast on U.S. network radio in the early 1950s, which featured a young woman with a seductive voice addressing the listener as her lover, inviting him to lay down on the couch with her and have his hair stroked. Evidently, a large number of lonesome boys were captivated by this broadcast because thousands of letters subsequently arrived at the radio station proposing marriage. So that's interesting because they were so captivated, and and they felt like they were so personally addressed, and the way that the person talked was so intimate that they, they really felt as if they could reach out um, you know, and personally reach out and even to propose marriage at the time. So first let's talk a little bit about just social media and being a content creator in general. This is something that I've personally thought a lot about in the past and something that I continue to think about as I create online. So whether, you know, you create YouTube videos or a podcast, or you just run social media platforms in general, you are creating a community around your work and putting something out there. The idea is to have people who like your work, hopefully, and find a connection with you and your work. And that connection happens on an emotional level. So from a marketing perspective, you know you're trying to create engaging content and give value to your audience. And that value can be in the form of humor, You know, it can be educational, emotional, entertaining. So I think the creators themselves have to be aware that on some level they too are kind of creating this parasocial relationship that their followers or fans have with them. It's kind of like a two-way street, I think. I think that's the right way to use that term. So um, having a connection with someone's work is really kind of not the issue here. It kind of goes overboard when you think that you know that person on a more personal level and you start to believe that you have more of a relationship with them than you actually do. When you start to think that there is an emotional connection between the two of you or a bond that the two of you share. So I'm going to be covering this topic strictly from the, uh, within the occult community. So there's been a lot of talk in the past around aesthetic, right? Like what makes a witch? Do witches need to look a certain way? Is aesthetic important? And it's actually a really interesting conversation that maybe I'd like to get further into in in another episode. But for now, uh, let's focus on the fact that a lot of what we see on social media isn't even real. Many people have a certain social media aesthetic, such as the clothes they wear or the way they set up their profiles. Uh, Carefully chosen colors, fonts, you know, um, words, the words that they use even. It's all kind of carefully crafted. We only often see people the way that they want to be seen. We don't see them in their pajamas or when they first wake up or when they're in a depressive episode. A lot of what we see on social media is carefully crafted. Even in the spiritual community, there's a lot of aesthetic happening with the tools that are used and room decor. We may see social profiles and feel a connection, thinking, oh, that's so cool, or that we wish that we had that, or that we wish that our lives were like theirs. We can develop a relationship with the content itself. And mind you, a lot of the content posted in the occult and spiritual community is very helpful and engaging and well thought out. But it's important to see beyond that. And to understand that we only see a small percentage of this person's life and of this person's spiritual practice. And I feel like a lot of, like, that's where the negative social relationship stuff can happen. When we assume or we think we know about a person's spiritual practice more than we actually do. This can look like, you know, assuming someone works with one god or multiple gods. Maybe assuming that someone won't work with angels or that they only work with angels or that someone doesn't like a whole path or a whole part of the craft. I personally feel like people are very multifaceted and that social media in general likes to have people niche down so that the algorithm knows where to put them. People may then feel like they can only share about one part of their craft, or they must find something that makes them totally unique, but then will fail to share the other parts of their spiritual path that they are exploring. I practiced strictly folk magic for a long time, and then I explored ceremonial magic, and slowly found, you know, my way or my path kind of uses both at different times. I also use the Bible in many of my spells, yet many people may not know this about me. And if someone were to form a parasocial relationship with me by assuming that I don't work with the Bible or that I'm against Christianity, in the end, they would only be hurting themselves because that's simply not the case. So I feel like there's, there's kind of like a responsibility on both sides, the side of the individual putting an occult creator on a pedestal, and the occult creator themselves. Also, much of one's spiritual practice is private, and a lot of the real magic happens behind closed doors. We cannot expect everyone to openly share everything about themselves, or what they're up to magically. It just, it cannot be. This is a spiritual path for a reason, and this may be a biased opinion, but I believe that things stay sacred by staying personal. Much of the spiritual connection and transformation and insight happens when we are alone with the divine, not sharing it through a live on Instagram or something like that. As creators, I think... There also needs to be boundaries, and every person's boundary is going to be different of what they're willing to share and what they're not. I know for me that it was a learning curve to figure out just how much I could share without feeling like I was pimping out my own spirituality. Okay, so now let's move into talking about when worship of people happens, and when romantic feelings develop. It does happen. And I bet many of the online occult content creators have inbox messages to prove it. I have been the recipient of love letters for other content creators when people think that they may have a chance to get with that person by going through me. It's strange. And it just goes to show that, you know, people will act weird when they get too attached to an online persona. Do people worship this carefully created image that people put online? Yes, they can. It does happen. We can see this with some larger creators like Teal Swan. She has some mixed reviews. I find that people either really love her or they hate her. But from the comments, you can see on her posts and from the large following that she has some really diehard fans. She does share more personal content about her life and her experiences. So it does create a sense of getting to know her on a deeper level. Now, I haven't watched her content for quite some time, but I'd like to bring up a scenario. Let's say that something happened with Teal Swan where it came out that she was doing something not so good and that there was evidence to prove this. But because people have built such an emotional connection and because they feel like they know her better than even the evidence suggests, they choose to not believe it and they continue to support her and uplift her even though she may be potentially hurting others. Now, obviously, this was a fictional scenario with someone who has a larger, almost cult-like following, but it does happen. Just like in the case with Marilyn Manson, we see Evan Rachel Wood saying that she was locked in a soundproof room as a form of abuse. And in interviews, Marilyn, in his own words, says that he has, quote, a bad girl's room that is a soundproof room and when someone is naughty I lock them in the room. Yet if someone were to have formed such a deep parasocial relationship online or through his music and thought that they knew him to be a kind person even with all of the evidence in the world they may not see it nor would they want to see it. They would defend him because they believe they know him deeply on a personal level. Yet the image he created to the public was just that, a carefully crafted image. And I understand the debate with cancel culture, right? Do we cancel everyone that has a past or that is maybe problematic? And I think that it it actually should be taken on a case-by-case basis because I think obviously if someone is very abusive, um, it's a different story, but I think if something happened in someone's past and they've actually learned from it and they've changed, that we should acknowledge that because each and every one of us is learning and evolving and changing. Um, But again, I think it's a case-by-case basis. But anyway, so we obviously also see this kind of thing with celebrities and singers and artists where people fall in love with and worship the idea of them rather than who they really are. In the occult community, this can look like idolizing someone based on their niche or their experience. I think power dynamics are also really interesting, and this was something that was also brought up in the um, video done by Kellyanne Maddox. Uh, she talked about the power dynamics in terms of the relationship Uh, the Marilyn Manson relationships. But um, just because someone knows more than you about a certain topic or path doesn't mean that they are better than you. It's one thing to be kind of like an authority on the topic because you've put years of work and research into that area. But we also must be aware that at times it can create a power imbalance where people look up to this person and may even hold what they do and say on a pedestal without even questioning it. It's one thing to appreciate someone's work, but you must still be aware that everyone is human. Everyone makes mistakes. And everyone is both good and bad at a variety of things. In a sense, we are all equal, even if we aren't equal in knowledge on a certain subject. Something I see a lot is kind of like this content that almost feels condescending, It's like, I know this and you don't, so what I say must be the truth. And I think that if something does interest you, that you should always take it upon yourself to do your own research. At least that's something that I've kind of, I try to adopt that myself, although I do sometimes get caught up in the content. (laughs) Now let's talk about the healthy side of it, because I think for a lot of people, online relationships Are actually helping them to feel less lonely. And this is something that was really, can really, I think, benefit people even before the pandemic. For people who are neurodivergent, um, that may find it harder to make in person relationships, or have not, maybe they don't have uh, very good in person social cues, Um, maybe they're not able to. Read social cues, or maybe they're not not able to read facial expressions, or something like that. Um, online relationships or groups can actually serve as a healthy social outlet. Again, there are boundaries, but I think technology in this way is actually kind of beautiful because it does bring people together, and uh, that's one thing that I have found online with creating actual friendships. Uh, It's helped me a lot to have people that have like-minded interests and uh, have people actually talk to about them. Because I wasn't really finding that in my small hometown. So I typed into Google, are parasocial relationships healthy? And what I got from the kind of the first, uh, you know, thing that popped up was, Parasocial relationships are actually perfectly normal and, in fact, psychologically healthy. As humans, we are built to make social connections, and so we are presented with a person through through audio or video, and we seek to establish a bond with them. Now, that was from a Refinery29 article, but I wanted to look at it from a more scientific perspective, so I found a few uh, research articles. And one was titled "Computer in, Computers in Human Behavior, the Role of Social and Parasocial Relationships on Social Networking Sites. Now, this study kind of looked at just how much of an emotional connection kind of added to the loyalty of the user in terms of a social media platform, which I thought was fascinating um, because the app that you feel you've built the most connections on is going to be the app that you are most loyal to so this is also highlighted you know that having online connections can help people to have better psychological health and it actually showed in this paper that older adults actually have better psychological health and it allowed them to feel more included when they were able to build uh relationships through social media and show that digital technology actually enhanced the life, activity, and well being of older adults. So, although for the example above um, with Refinery 21, I do feel like they may actually be missing the point of what a parasocial relationship is. And I think that in those positive examples, they're talking about just actual online relationships. So again, uh, in a research article titled Parasocial Relationships, it's mentioned by the researcher that, quote, I have seen very occasionally online relationships described as parasocial. This, of course, is a misunderstanding of the concept of parasociality. An online relationship, for example, of a cyber romance set in motion via dating website, consists of two individuals interacting in a reciprocal fashion, sending and receiving emails, texts, or whatever. The only way in which this differs from any other kind of social relationship is that the interaction is not face-to-face. There is actually nothing very new about this kind of interaction. People have been communicating over long distances by letter for centuries and by telephone by decades. Without necessarily ever meeting in person. There has always been an identity puzzle to solve, such as, is the person whose letter I'm reading the same person in the photo they've sent along with it? Of course, the internet has made this type of relationship easier to come by. Cyber relationships are perhaps less interesting and less revolutionary than cyber enthusiasts sometimes make them out to be. Parasocial relationships are different. The defining feature of a parasocial relationship is that the communication is all one way. One of the most important qualities of parasocial interaction and one of the most fascinating features is that it pushes the boundaries of logic and rationalism, end quote. So it's where really the uh, person that's infatuated has a one-sided relationship. They're not really getting any interaction back. And maybe if they even do get a small interaction back, they take it as something really big. They take it like they have this big, wonderful relationship. It's very emotional for them, but it's it's a one-sided relationship. So I do believe that online connections can have a positive impact on people, especially those who have trouble making in-person connections. But it should be addressed that a relationship online, even a friendship, or a respectful kind of colleague-to-colleague relationship in the same field, such as an occult writer or occult content creator, must have both parties interacting together, whether through email, direct message, or video chat. And even then, a true relationship takes time to form. It's interesting when people put non-human qualities onto spiritual creators. We already kind of live in a world where we believe many things that the outside world or more socially acceptable world may not believe. Or at least they don't talk about openly, such as spirits, fairies, premonitions, and magic itself. When we begin to hold spiritual creators up to a supernatural standard, we begin to separate them from ourselves, and it runs the risk of making them godlike. One show that I recently loved so much that I embarrassingly kind of binge-watched all of the seasons, up until my favorite character died, was American Gods. I love how it mixed the old gods in with the new gods and how the new gods were things like social media and virtual reality. And this got me thinking, do people see celebrities as gods today? And even in smaller niches like the occult community, if we are giving all of our time and energy to watching someone's content, are we treating them like a god? Almost worshipping them with that time and energy? This idea makes sense when we look at gods of the past, and that they had more human stories and human characteristics so that they could be more relatable to the humans on Earth. Some interesting points to consider from a Reddit post that was about celebrities, um, I thought, could also be considered for the occult community. And it really had six points to it. So, number one. People that used to worship gods slash goddesses wanted to know where they were at all times, and fans today want to know where their celebrities are. And today, for larger occult creators online, it seems people do want to know what they're up to, and they peek into their lives, and they see what they share on social media, which can technically be a 24-7 thing. Number two, each god or goddess had unique characteristics for example athena was the goddess of wisdom and occult creators today have their own unique characteristics and paths and often the ones that niche down do the best number three gods wanted sacrifice celebrities want you to spend money buying products or tickets to see them this too can happen in the occult community with spiritual business Although I feel it can be seen more of a supporting the person rather than sacrifice, but sometimes it could be a sacrifice if you are financially sacrificing, or something like that. Number four, worshippers would wait for signs slash messages from their gods, and fans today wait for tweets and posts on social media. Number five, worshippers used to follow their gods' orders. And today, if a celebrity speaks out against a person or company, their fans follow suit. This can also happen in the occult community, and it does. Although I have seen many creators openly speak out against this as well, kind of making it clear that if they disagree with someone, they don't want their fans sending hate to that person. But even to have to mention that thing kind of suggests that their fans are willing to do that. And finally, number six, gods were usually good looking. Many of them who find, and many people who find large following on social media are attractive today or have something unique about them from their fashion to their personality. So would I say that there are some interesting similarities there, especially when you mix in the fact that people sometimes don't even worship the person, but they worship the number beside that person's name? Yes, it's totally fascinating, and I do think that sometimes we can hold celebrities or even occult content creators up to being almost godlike. Do we worship the person, or do we worship the numbers? I don't know. (laughs) So there's also the moment of grieving the loss of someone, whom we may have formed a parasocial relationship with, either because they come out as being an awful person in their personal lives, or because they simply stop putting out content. If we become emotionally attached, there may be that grieving process somewhere down the line. It is a fact that on some level, real emotions happen. So in the spiritual space, how can we form healthy relationships with content creators? I think first and foremost, it it is about remembering that we are emotional beings. Well, (laughs) most of us. And lots of stuff is going to make us feel. But that mostly everything has an extended backstory that we don't get to see. And even if we think we know everything about a person, the truth is that we are never truly going to know 100% of it all. Also, I think we should spend more time on our own spirituality than watching or commenting on the spirituality of others. You must first have a healthy relationship with your own spirituality. Finally, I think it comes down to checking yourself. Do you feel like you know someone or have a connection? Is it one-sided? Be truthful with yourself. How often are you checking their content, their social page? What extra actions are you taking? If you're messaging other people trying to get with them, maybe it's time to take a step back. Do I think that we can totally have healthy relationships with spiritual content creators? Yes. I think it's really cool that we're able to share our paths and, and interact with others of like interests, which is something that in a lot of areas is not readily available. But to also save ourselves from getting hurt or getting out of touch from reality, it's also important to understand that parasocial relationships in the occult community do happen. If you If you like, suggest doing a really, oh, sorry, I wrote this out, but I feel like I want to suggest a simple candle spell. Well, I'd like to now suggest a simple candle spell. (laughs) Light a candle and set the intention of seeing the truth in all situations and in all people, both on and offline. Say a small prayer of protection for all of your relationships, and then allow that candle to burn down in a safe bowl or holder. I like to do that. I kind of get an all-purpose white candle or kind of any color that I feel called to. And then I light it. I say my prayer of protection. I ask to see truth in all situations. Sometimes it comes to me in the way that I'd like. Sometimes that I don't like. But, it, you know, it works. But really that's my take on a spell that you can do. And that's my take on parasocial relationships. So if you're listening on YouTube, all resources will be linked in the description. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'll see you again for the next episode of the Grunge Magic podcast. I try to put a new episode out every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday.